Good morning, church. It's always a blessing to be able to worship together and be together on Sundays. Well, this morning, I want to give us some, kind of help us enter into our imagination and and think about the disciples of Jesus as they um, sat in this moment with Jesus in in Acts chapter 1. We're in this new series called Startup. Uh, looking at uh, the, the beginnings of the church. And as we as a church, as a, almost as a society, it seems, coming out of the pandemic, um, are, are in the season of transition, um, wondering what the new normals will look like, adjusting to life back to how maybe it used to be with some adjustments. Um, we want to look at how, how did the church begin? What was the disciples' journey like? Um, what were the movements that took place and what do we learn about them? What can we learn about them to allow them to inform how we live our lives? Uh, so this morning we're going to, again, be looking uh, specifically at the disciples. Now the disciples were a group of ordinary Jewish men who abandoned their stable careers to follow this up-and-coming teacher. Now for us, when we read the Bible, we know that this up-and-coming teacher's name was Jesus. And usually when we're reading the Bible, we know a lot about Jesus already, that he's the son of God, that he dies on a cross, that he rises from the grave. But imagine these disciples, when Jesus first came to them and said, follow me, they didn't know any of that. In fact, again, they were probably working in stable jobs. Some of them were married. They were going about their day-to-day lives as they do. And then they had this invitation. And their experience with Jesus were Whatever it was, whatever it was in those moments for them, they decided to leave all that they knew and begin to follow Jesus. And as Jesus went about the Galilee region, he would teach. And the disciples would listen to Jesus teach and unpack the word of God in such a way that the disciples had never heard before. They watched as the crowds hung on Jesus' every word teaching them a a way of life that was so compelling and so different than anything that they had experienced. And not only that, not only did the words of Jesus bring life, they, they watched Jesus walk up to someone who was sick and reach out and touch them, and these people would be healed. They watched Jesus give sight to the blind. They watched Jesus interact with lepers who in, in that day and age were complete outcasts in, the, in Israel society. You weren't supposed to go near a leper, but here Jesus would walk up to a leper and not only interact with them, but heal them. They watched as Jesus not only healed people, but performed these miraculous things. Speaking to the wind and the waves and, and watching a storm totally clear off a lake and the, the waters calm. They watched Jesus take five loaves and two fish and and almost expand matter between his fingers and go on to feed thousands and thousands of people. They watched Jesus deliver the oppressed, people who had had, were experienced demonic oppression. They watched Jesus walk up and with a word get rid of those demons and these people would be freed. Now, as all of this is happening, as as the disciples are witnessing all of this, not only does Jesus send them to go and do some of these same things themselves, but I imagine the disciples sitting and thinking and wondering to themselves, is this teacher, is this person, is this Jesus of Nazareth the one that we have been waiting for? Now, again, for those of us reading the Bible, we know, yes, of course, this is the one you're waiting for. This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. But the disciples... They're living in this stuff real time. They're watching this unfold real time, wondering, is he the one? 
So I can only imagine how they felt on what we call Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And the people of Israel received Jesus as a king. The disciples in those moments probably thought to themselves that, that not only is Jesus the one that we've been waiting for, but man, did we make the right choice when we left our fishing nets. We made the right choice. We followed the right teacher. This is awesome. This is going great. But as we read the story of Palm Sunday, we know something that the disciples didn't know. And only a week later, Jesus would be arrested on false charges. He would be given a mock trial. And this all-powerful king and Messiah, this amazing teacher, this healer, this deliverer, the disciples watched him. The one who they believed to be all-powerful now hanging power, seemingly to be powerless, hanging on the cross. Put yourself in that moment. Imagine, what did the disciples feel? Have you ever given your all to something and then suddenly feel like, oh no, did I invest in the wrong thing? Did I make the wrong choice? But again, that's not the end of the story. You can only imagine the emotional roller coaster for the disciples. Where three days later, they hear the news. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has conquered the grave. And I can only imagine, I bet you, that these ordinary Jewish men who had left their stable careers to follow Jesus were again, once again, full of excitement. And this is where we join the disciples this morning. Now I can only speculate on all that would be going through their minds, but what I am pretty sure of is that the disciples are sitting in a moment of major transition. They're sitting in a moment of major change. The once dead savior that they knew, this once dead teacher is now alive. The thought of Jesus being the Messiah was no longer just a thought, but a a guarantee and a reality. He has conquered the grave. And in the mind of the disciples, their hope as well as all of Israel was that this coming Messiah would overthrow the Romans and restore their land back to them. That, he, that, the, that the Jewish people would be liberated from Roman rule. And so it's in this moment of, of transition that we meet up with the disciples. And I assure you that in these moments, they're sitting there wondering, okay, what's next? They're sitting there waiting, wondering, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are we going to do? And we have this amazing question that rises in our text this morning of, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, I'm sure that we've all found ourselves in seasons of transition in our lives, moving from one stage of life to the next. Sometimes transitions are things that we have worked hard towards. You know, maybe it's a transition of of graduating, where you finally finish high school or post-secondary education, and you're just thrilled to be going through that change. Or maybe it's a transition at work, where you've been working so hard for that next promotion or that next thing. There's other transitions in our lives that are very natural, which is the reality of growing up. Our grade sixers joined in with our youth last week in this natural transition of going from grade school to junior high. We experience transitions maybe in relationships where that person who once just caught your eye becomes a girlfriend or boyfriend, and you transition from that to engagement to marriage. 
And then as life goes on, maybe children are, are added to that. As we age, we transition into retirement and, and being empty nesters. We go through transitions in our lives. And then at other times, there's transitions that we are still waiting for. Be it a health concern that we have, we're waiting for change or transition to come for that diagnosis or treatment or for, for a healing to happen in our lives. Or we're sitting waiting for a transition in our financial situation, wondering when are we going to have enough. If we could only get that next job or that next paycheck or that next thing, we're just waiting for that change to come. And of course, as a church, as a society currently, we are in the middle of a bit of a transition. Going from a global pandemic to a time of war in Europe and all this economic uncertainty, we are left wondering. We are left waiting. We are left asking Jesus, at this time, are you going to do this, that, or the other thing? No matter how these transitions come about, the reality is that you and I want to navigate them well, don't we? We want to go through a transition in a way that we come out on the other side better than we were before. And when transitions are difficult, we hope to go through them in such a way that when we come out the other end, we aren't quite so damaged. So how do we navigate transitions well? Well, I think when we look at the disciples in this moment, we get a bit of a glimpse of how we might transition well. And so I want to learn from them this morning as we enter into their story. The first thing I think we need to remember is that we need to walk with Jesus in the midst of transitions, not away from him. Walk with Jesus in the midst of transitions and not away from him. Oftentimes when we face transitions in our lives, they leave us feeling the temptation to perhaps walk away from God. Sometimes this is brought about in, in, uh, from a good transition, just kind of a natural, you know, things are good, I'm moving up in the world, these types of things. And, and so at its best, this might come across simply with us forgetting God. We forget God's presence, we forget His goodness. We might move along in life thinking, ah, I don't really need to go to church anymore. I don't need to read my Bible anymore. Things are going pretty good. And we just start to forget him. But at its worst, I think that there's changes in our lives, transitions that happen in our lives that leave us wanting to abandon life with Jesus altogether. Sadly, I know I've heard many people say things to me like, well, I tried Christianity once, but it just didn't work out for me. Or someone who's desperately crying out to Jesus or praying to him for healing or provision or for help. And their sense is, well, Jesus didn't heal. Jesus didn't provide. Jesus didn't help. So I'm out. Or other times I'll hear people say something like, I called out to Jesus. I prayed. I sought him. I just wanted to know him more. And I just feel like he didn't answer. And for many youth who are going from high school into adulthood, they come to a point where they might say, well, it really just was my parents' faith, not my own. Again, when I look at the story of the disciples as they transition from the resurrection to the the beginning of the church, I wonder if they too faced this temptation. Now, as the story goes, after Jesus was raised from the dead, They're instructed, the disciples are instructed to go to Galilee and to wait for Jesus. And so we understand that the Great Commission um, was given in Galilee, which is really cool when you think about it, because it was in Galilee that Jesus did most of his earthly ministry. 
So it's like he brings them back to the place where they work together. And he's like, from that place, he's saying, okay, now go into all the world, make disciples. But what's interesting is that when we read about the disciples in Galilee, specifically in the Gospel of John in chapter 21, uh, the disciples are found fishing. They're found out in a boat fishing. And it's in that moment that Jesus finds them. Now, many commentators look at this, and we can only speculate what's going on here. Because, yes, the disciples were supposed to be in Galilee, but they were never told to go fishing. But most of the disciples, what did they do before they followed Jesus? They were fishers. And so I wonder if they were facing a bit of this temptation of like, well, I don't know what Jesus is going to do. I don't know if he's going to show up. Well, let's go fishing. I don't know if he is going to come and lead us in the way that he used to. So we're pretty good at fishing. Let's just go back to this. And if this whole thing with Jesus doesn't work out, we have a backup plan. We can just keep fishing. And when I think about that in the context of the story, I can't say that I blame them. I think when we face moments of disappointment with God, or we face moments where we feel like we're just waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something, the temptation is to just maybe walk away. I'm not saying the disciples did that, but I I wonder if there wasn't a bit of that in their minds as they headed out onto the Galilee one more time. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe your walk with Jesus isn't what it used to be. Maybe you've been attending church less and less. Maybe you have prayers that you've been praying for a long time and you feel like God isn't listening or isn't responding or isn't answering the way that you want him to. But friends, when I read scripture, I really believe Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. Because whether or not the disciples should have been out on the water fishing in that moment, where do we find Jesus in that story? He meets them on the shore. He comes to them in that place where maybe they might have been avoiding him. Jesus comes to us where we are at. Jesus wants to navigate these difficulties with us. I'm going to come back to that in a minute here. So the first thing When we're navigating transitions in our lives, we need to walk with Jesus, not away from him. The second is that we need to walk with Jesus, not ahead of him. Walk with Jesus, not ahead of him. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, can you imagine the experience of the disciples at this point? We have to remember that their framework, the the thing that they thought Jesus was going to do, was basically to cause some sort of uprising in Jerusalem, (laughs) They thought that Jesus was going to come in with power and overthrow the Romans and reestablish Israel back to what it used to be and get rid of the Romans. And so in this moment in Acts 1, we still see this longing and this expectation for Jesus to move and act in a way that they want Jesus to move and to act. In this sense, they want Jesus to do what they want him, what they want him to do, right? Jesus, we want you to do what we want you to do. They had an idea in their minds of what they thought Jesus should do, and they were ready to do it. It's interesting when we read in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew 26, uh, Jesus is in Gethsemane, and the Roman guards come and arrest him. Well, how do the disciples react? Well, in Matthew 26, we read that one of the disciples pulls out a sword and strikes the ear of one of the soldiers. 
They thought it was time for the uprising. They thought it was time to overthrow Rome. They thought it was time to to do what they thought Jesus should do. But Jesus says, no, put away the sword. And he goes with them. I think about a time in my own life, Jelena and I had just moved to Three Hills, and I was just uh, getting going in my theological studies, uh, transitioning from being a carpenter to to now going uh, to pursue full-time vocational ministry. And right after we moved, um, Camp Caroline posted a job for the position that I would have said at the time was my absolute dream job. I felt like, man, God has wired me to be a camp director. God made me to be a camp director. I love camp ministry. I met my wife at camp. We got married at camp. We've served at camp for five summers. And so when this job posting came up, I was ready to just leave Prairie. We had just moved to Three Hills. We just settled in. I was ready to just be like, we're going back to camp. This is the thing. This is what God has for us. And uh, so we applied, and um, my application was accepted, and I was asked to come for an interview. And I remember so clearly praying this prayer to the Lord of, Lord, you know, if, if, if you don't want me to go to camp, basically, I, you have to keep me from getting the job. They have to say no to me if you don't want me to go to camp. This was me like throwing out a fleece, right? Uh, this idea of testing the Lord. I wasn't interested in really praying about this decision because I believe this is what God wanted for me and for my wife. And so I applied for this job and all this was going well. And I was, I'm actually, in, I was really good friends with the camp director at the time. And so I was convinced that it would take a miracle for me not to get this job. I'd have to blow the interview. So my wife and I go to this interview and I thought it went incredibly incredibly well. And when I say I thought it went, you all know where the story is going. Um, And it was later that week that my phone rings and um, the camp director calls to say, Adam, we're going in a different direction. We're going with someone else. Well, I was devastated. That is not only not what I expected, but it was also not what I thought God wanted for my life. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. Where God is not moving in the ways that you think he should move in your life. Friends, that's where we find the disciples. But what's amazing about the story of the disciples and even my story is that what God had for me, what God had for them is so much better. It was only later that year in Bible school that I was like, I could not imagine me getting that job. Because here I was was at Prairie growing and learning about ministry and, and falling more and more in love um, with the, the thought of becoming a pastor and all these things. And when I graduated, it was like, man, I've said this to Jolene um, not even long ago. Could you have imagined what our life would look like if we would have gone to camp? Friends, God sees the big picture. And when the disciples brought this question to Jesus, Lord, are you, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They had their idea of what they thought God should do. They had their idea of what they thought the startup should look like. But friends, Jesus' idea of it was not only different, but so much better. So first, we walk with Jesus, not away from him. We walk with Jesus, not ahead of him. So what do we do? Well, it's pretty simple. We walk with Jesus. In the midst of transition, when we're facing change in our lives, when we're facing maybe turbulence and it's change that we don't like, or we're facing change that we're anticipating, that we've worked for, we're facing the natural transitions of our lives, we do well to walk with Jesus, to stay close to Jesus, to keep our minds upon him, 
to seek out his will and his direction. In and out of season of transition or change, we walk with Jesus. Now, we, we use this metaphor a lot here at TCC. It's part of our mission statement, which is to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and share Jesus. And so I thought it appropriate to bring it back to that. And I don't want to just talk about uh, walking with Jesus in an abstract way, but hopefully give us some, practice, some practices and some practical, tangible things to hold on to uh, as we think about this. In some senses, it's, it's taking us back to the basics of what it means for us to follow Jesus. So how do we walk with Jesus? Well, first, I think it starts simply with us trusting him. Walking with Jesus begins with us trusting him. It's looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, sometimes I don't understand what you're doing. Sometimes I, I don't maybe agree with what you're doing, but I choose to trust you. And the story we have in scripture of Jesus and, and the, the portrait of God that we have is of one who is all-powerful, and, but one who is also all-present. Um, I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 46. Uh, our brother Bill here uh, often will remind us of this passage, and I'm always thankful for that. I'm going to open my Bible to Isaiah 46 because I can't read the screen. Um, and we have God speaking here in Isaiah 46, and he says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, the ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand. And I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Friends, God is all-powerful. God sees the big picture. God presents himself here in Isaiah as one who can orchestrate things to his ends. We can trust him because he is all-powerful. Another passage I wanted us to look at, because not only is God all-powerful, but he desires good. In, in Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah is sent to the potter's house. And this is what the Lord has him experience. The word that came to Jeremiah from the, from the Lord, go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him, the potter, working at the wheel. But the pots he was shaping from the clay were marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. If we go on reading, it's very similar to what we just read in Isaiah 46. This idea of God is able to do what he desires to do. God is all-powerful. Friends, you might look at your story, you might look at a situation that you're in and feel like it is just a messed up pot. Things are not going the way that you would like to. But friends, God is one who can take the brokenness of our lives. He can take that clay and he can mold it into something new. He can mold it into something that is better than before. We have to trust him. And what I love about our passage in Acts um, chapter 1 this morning is that we get a picture not simply of a God who is on his throne, who oversees all and who is all-powerful, but we get a picture of a God who is present with us and all-personal. Jesus sits with his disciples. It's interesting here the language that Luke is using here. 
He talks about Jesus eating with his disciples, sitting with his disciples, having conversations with his disciples. Jesus was incredibly personal and present to them in this moment of transition. And friends, Jesus wants to be incredibly personal and present to you in your life, in your moments of transitions. Luke points out for us that Jesus in doing this, it's kind of like establishing that Jesus wasn't simply a ghost. A ghost can't sit down and have a meal with his friends. But Jesus, the one who was risen from the dead, sat down and shared a meal with his friends. He's all-powerful and all-present. So friends, first, we walk with Jesus by trusting him. Second, we walk with Jesus through the practice of silence and solitude. We talk about this a lot at TCC, um, and so hopefully uh, you're hearing what we're trying to say. It is so important for us to get alone with Jesus. Instead of running away from him, instead of running ahead of him, we do well to get alone with him, to sit with him. And when I think about what's going on in Acts, it's amazing that that's what the disciples have chosen to do. Because when I look at the situation and circumstances surrounding the resurrection of Christ and, um, and these days that Jesus spent with them from the resurrection to Pentecost, it's, it's remarkable that they, they, they stayed persistent. They kept seeking Jesus out. And the beauty of silence and solitude is it allows us to resist the temptation to dwell on possible outcomes instead of dwelling on Jesus. When we're going through difficulties in life, or when we're facing any, time of tr- any type of transition, we have every opportunity to, to turn our attention to so many different things. But in silence and solitude, we step back from all of these different things, all these competing voices, all these differing opinions, and instead, we fix our mind on Jesus. Instead of worrying about how something might turn out, ins- instead of fussing over possible outcomes, we turn our attention to Jesus. Perhaps you're facing a major transition in your life in this season. Perhaps you're longing for God to bring about a transition. Well, we have a day of silence and solitude on May 28th. I encourage you to to take time, take a day out to go and be with Jesus. Bring these things before him. So we trust Jesus, we get alone with Jesus, and we pray to Jesus is another practice. We bring our circumstance, our doubt, our confusion, and our questions to Jesus. Friends, something that the disciples are modeling for us in this text is, is when they bring this question to Jesus, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Do we not all have questions like that? Lord, are you at this time not going to heal my family member? Lord, at this time, are you not going to change my career situation? Lord, at this time, are you not going to provide for me all these things that I need? We appropriately bring all of our questions to Jesus. When we're frustrated at Jesus, we bring him our frustration. Maybe you feel angry or hurt by something that's happened in your life and you wonder, Jesus, where were you? Why why didn't you move? Why didn't you act in this way? We can bring him those questions. Too often I witness people, instead of turning to Jesus in in hurt or confusion or frustrations, they turn away from him. That's not what God desires. He wants to walk with us through those things. 
How many of us watched the hockey game last night? A few of us, I'm sure. Okay, okay. Um, someone on our staff has been uh, really ridiculing me that I don't like sports too much, so I, I'm trying to watch more hockey so that I fit in around here. But did you guys see McDavid's goal? Like, oh my goodness, right? So if you, if you didn't watch, you need to go watch this replay because what happens is, is McDavid is rushing down the ice. And this is going to tie in. Just give me a second. He's rushing down the ice with the puck. He breaks through and he, uh, one of LA's guys is right on his tail and they, they hook him. So he doesn't quite get the puck to the net. And you think, okay, the play is going to get called. It's going to stop here. But no, it's McDavid, right? So he grabs the puck. I have no idea how. He goes around the net, tries to go back in. Doesn't quite get there, but again, then he backs up. I think the puck went off his, uh, off his skate. Anyway, gets the puck in the net. It's just unreal goal. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, I wish my prayer life was more like the way McDavid played hockey. The guy doesn't give up. You know, he goes in once and it doesn't totally work out. He comes around the net, doesn't totally work out. It goes off his skate, boom, puts the puck in the net. And I think of how often maybe in my own prayer life, it, my prayers aren't feeling answered or God's not answering my questions. So it's just, I just stop. But we need to pray with the same persistence in which McDavid plays hockey. So we pray and we keep praying and we pray again. We get alone with God. We bring him our heart. And we trust that he will in his time meet us in that place. We also walk with God by investing in Scripture. Friends, knowing the will of God begins in the Word of God. I know we have many youth uh, in our congregation who are kind of going from high school into the university age. And in that season of life, we ask a lot of God, what's your will for my life? What's your plan for my life? What direction do you have for me? What starts in the Word of God? You want to know the will of God? Read the Word of God. And as you read God's word, his will is revealed. And I know that when you're finishing high school, you want to know exactly what career and what person and all these types of things. But set that aside and instead invest the energy into living out faithfully the word of God. To love God and to love others. To walk in the ways that he's called you to walk. And know that as, as we live out God's word, he makes his direction and his path clear to us. The disciples in this text required the perspective and instruction of Jesus. Friends, when we go through transitions, we require the perspective and the instruction of Jesus. Again, they had their idea of what they wanted Jesus to do. But Jesus transformed their perspective. Commentator F.F. Bruce says that instead of the political power which had once been the objective of the disciples' ambitions, a power far greater and nobler would be theirs. I love this. They brought their question to Jesus. Jesus responded. Friends, I think so oftentimes I'll be praying about something and then I go and I'm reading in, in the Word, just doing my daily devotions, and God speaks to me from His Word, revealing to me His heart. The disciples bring their question to Jesus. Jesus responds to them. And the disciples whose perspective was about political power was about to be changed. Pastor Norm's going to be talking about that power next week as we talk about being on mission. But friends, we need to dwell on God's word. And the key in this too is that when we talk about the abundant life that God has to give, when we talk about the goodness that God has for us, when we talk about um, experiencing joy and all these things in our lives, 
It's all as Jesus defines it. It's life abundant as Jesus defines it. It's the good life as Jesus defines it. It's vitality as Jesus defines it. And the only way we can know how he defines it is by looking to his word and learning that from him. And the final practice is community. We walk with Jesus in the company of others. And there's there's way more practices I obviously don't want to get into all of it. I think these are some the major, major few for us this morning. We walk with Jesus in the company of others. You know, the disciples that Jesus chose, uh, we had, there's 12 disciples. Judas betrays him. We have 11 of the, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus. But we also know that they were a group of, of many. That there were hundreds who saw and gave witness to Jesus being alive. And later in Acts, we read that there's 120 of them together in a room waiting Waiting for what Jesus said would come. And their waiting and their longing and their expectation was made so much easier when they did it in the company of one another. Friends, we need one another. We currently live in a highly individualistic culture that just, it's so easy to have so many excuses not to do life with other people. Not to journey with other people. Maybe some of you have been hurt by others and you feel closed off. You don't want to share your heart or your needs or those transitions that you're longing for. But I encourage you to practice forgiveness. To trust again. To to invest time and energy into having those few close friends that you walk in life with. That you walk with Jesus in the company of others, not on your own. We need one another. So it's in this setting in Acts chapter 1, these first few verses that we see the startup begin. It's in the midst of questions. It's in the midst of waiting. The disciples, we read here, that they chose to keep walking with Jesus. Friends, no matter the season that we find ourselves in, the questions that we have, or the waiting that we are enduring, we need to keep walking with Jesus. We need to trust him. We need to spend time with him. We need to talk to him, learn from him, and do all of that in the company of others. Perhaps some of you here this morning are longing for a startup in your own lives or for a transition to take place. Perhaps you're feeling the temptation to walk away from God, or maybe you're feeling the temptation to run, a, run ahead of him. But I want to encourage you this morning. Don't grow tired of waiting on Jesus. Don't, go, don't, don't grow tired of trusting him. Instead, lean into him through prayer and through time in the word. And see how those in scripture wrestled, perhaps, as you are wrestling. And as you do that, press into community. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on the platform. Father God, we thank you for your disciples, Lord. That in your time here on earth, you invested deeply into the lives of these men. And Lord, as they navigated the transition of of your earthly ministry to you ascending to the Father, to you sending the Spirit, Lord, thank you that they faithfully walked with you in that time. And so, Jesus, may we learn from your example. And God, perhaps there are those of us here this morning 
who are staring into a situation that they just desire that needs to change. And they're, they're calling out to you and asking, Lord, at this time, are you going to bring change to this situation? Lord, may we know your presence. Lord, may your Holy Spirit help us to trust you, to press into you instead of turning away. And Lord, maybe there's some of us in here this morning who, who are longing for a change in life and, and are running ahead of you. God, I pray you would help us to slow down and be a people who really invest time and energy to hear from you, to hear what you have for us. Lord, that we would not run ahead of you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are all-powerful and all-present. May we live in the realities of that power and that presence in our day-to-day lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.